live from inside your speakers, this is Hardcore Casual, your place for weekly gaming and entertainment news. Please welcome your host, Whack Ops. Greetings from Earth, this is not your leader. My name is Whack Ops. How you doing? Welcome back to Hardcore Casual, episode number 20. I'm back, y'all. That's right. I am back. Every week, we are going to be bringing you an episode. Welcome to 2022, our first official episode of 2022. Um, A quick note about how the show is going to work moving forward. We're actually going to be moving our episode to Mondays. Yeah, that's right. Mondays. Fridays simply just do not work for our schedule over here. And I believe that a better quality product will be produced if we release on Monday. So keep an eye out for that. Monday mornings, 10 a.m. is when we're going to be releasing our episodes moving forward. Also this week, we get Pokemon Legends Arceus. That's right. Pokemon Legends Arceus is coming on January 28th. I'm very excited to be able to play this one. This is the first big release that I've been pumped about. But you know what happened this week. I know what happened this week, and we're going to dig into it because the biggest news in gaming that we've had for some time, Microsoft's purchase of Activision Blizzard. We're going to sink our teeth into it. But first, let's go ahead and go through a couple of ways you can support the show. You can write in with questions and comments to our email, whackops at gmail.com. That's W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Wackops again, W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z. Please don't forget to subscribe, share, download, and review if you are so inclined. But without further ado, let's just jump right into it. We're starting off with our headliners where we tell you what made the front page this week in games and entertainment. And of course, there is no other story bigger than Microsoft purchases Activision Blizzard for $68.7 billion. That is a lot of money. So here's how this is going to work. We're going to walk through their full announcement written by Phil Spencer and posted to Xbox Wire on Tuesday. And we're going to pop in with little bits of information as we walk through this thing. So let's go ahead and start. Quote, as a team, we are on a mission to extend the joy and community of gaming to everyone on the planet. We all know that gaming is the most vibrant and dynamic form of entertainment worldwide, and we've experienced the power of social connection and friendship that gaming makes possible. As we pursue that mission, it is incredibly exciting to announce that Microsoft has agreed to acquire Activision Blizzard. Over many decades, the studio and teams that make up Activision Blizzard have earned vast wellsprings of joy and respect from billions of people all over the world. We are incredibly excited to have a chance to work with the amazing, talented, dedicated people over at Activision Publishing, Blizzard Entertainment, Beanox, Demonware, Digital Legends, High Moon Studios, Infinity Ward, King, Major League Gaming, Radical Entertainment, Raven Software, Sledgehammer Games, Toys for Bob, Treyarch, and every team across Activision Blizzard. So, as a quick note, in case you were unaware what all that means, Xbox and Microsoft will now own Call of Duty, Warcraft, Candy Crush, Tony Hawk, Overwatch, Spyro, Crash Bandicoot, StarCraft, and many, many, many more IP. The statement continues. Until this transaction closes, Activision Blizzard and Microsoft Gaming will continue to operate independently. Once the deal is complete, the Activision Blizzard business will report to me, that's Phil Spencer, 
as CEO, Microsoft Gaming. So, some other little notes here and there regarding the close of the deal and Activision and Microsoft's relationship moving forward. In an email sent to Activision Blizzard employees, CEO Bobby Kotick shared he expects the deal to close, quote, sometime in Microsoft's fiscal year 2023, ending June 20th, 2023. That is according to IGN. Now, the Wall Street Journal had something to say about Bobby Kotick's uh, involvement post-close. According to sources familiar with the deal, Bobby Kotick will be out once the deal closes. Again, that is according to the Wall Street Journal. More on that in a moment. Let's continue through the statement. Quote, Upon close, we will offer as many Activision Blizzard games as we can within the Xbox Game Pass and PC Game Pass, both new titles and games from Activision's incredible catalog. We also announced today that Game Pass now has more than 25 million subscribers. As always, we look forward to continuing to add more value and more great games to Game Pass. The fantastic franchises across Activision Blizzard will also accelerate plans for cloud gaming, allowing more people in more places around the world to participate in the Xbox community using phones, tablets, laptops, and other devices you already own. Activision Blizzard games are enjoyed on a variety of platforms, and we plan to continue to support those communities moving forward. Now, this was a big point of contention for a lot of gamers because they want to know about exclusivity, rightfully so. Phil Spencer has spoken to this more recently, a little later in the week after the announcement was made. Quote, I confirm our intent to honor all existing agreements upon acquisition of Activision Blizzard and our desire to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation. Now, his wording was very, very specific there. A lot of us who were here and around for the um, Bethesda Zenimax deal, obviously he used very similar language afterward announcing that it would be exclusive, all of their titles would be exclusive to the Xbox ecosystem. With that being said, this has been one of the bigger conversations happening amongst gamers and journalists over the last week surrounding exclusivity. Now, while many people are focused on that, Xbox is focused on their business plan, which centers around Game Pass and cloud gaming. Innovation is the name of the game, not competition. Uh, this also comes after, a couple of weeks ago, the leak of Sony's Game Pass competitor, Spartacus. At the end of the day, it's very simple. Sony cannot compete with Microsoft's buying power. Hence, the Game Pass model being such a force for Sony to contend with moving forward. Personally, I expect a divergence of what consumers look to each company for. Sony for the AAA, third-person, single-player experiences that we've come to know them for, and Xbox for multiplayer live service ones. It should also be noted that Sony's stock dropped 13% following the announcement. They lost roughly $20 billion. And in a statement later in the week, in response to the announcement, Sony said it expects Microsoft to honor existing contracts. Um, I'm not going to speak to exclusivity because it is very much up in the air, but I do think that Microsoft is going to find a way to make a uh, dealing with Sony to keep, um, Call of Duty on the Sony platforms on PlayStation till 2024. And then we will have to see what happens after that. 
That's assuming that Call of Duty still has yearly releases, which they've already spoken to a lot of developers that are hoping that the yearly release model will end. So let's continue with the statement, excuse me, the announcement statement from Microsoft. As a company, Microsoft is committed to our journey for inclusion in every aspect of gaming among both employees and players. We deeply value individual studio cultures. We also believe that creative success and autonomy go hand in hand with treating every person with dignity and respect. We hold all teams and all leaders to this commitment. We're looking forward to extend our culture of proactive inclusion to the great teams across Activision Blizzard. So, like I said, we're going to talk about Bobby Kotick a little bit. And a lot of people are asking post uh, this announcement, why did Activision sell? Um, what brought this about? And did it have anything to do with the current lawsuits and investigations that they're currently under? Now, in an interview with VentureBeat, Bobby Kotick spoke more or less directly to this. Quote, when they originally called, we said we would think about it. And then they made this offer that was incredibly attractive at 45% premium over the stock price. And I think it just made a lot of sense. And so, the more we spent time talking about it, how it would work, and what would happen, what resources were available, they clearly were the best partner. Now, Gamesbeat had a follow-up question. And was the sexual harassment inve investigation a factor in this? As it certainly seemed to affect the stock price. This is what Bobby Kotick had to say. Quote, I think what affected the stock price more than that was pushing out Overwatch and Diablo. And then I think that people started to see that this year's Call of Duty wasn't performing as well. So I think certainly the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing filing and the Wall Street Journal article contributed to that. But stocks go up and down for a variety of reasons. I think our view was that $95 a share with all cash, that's a really great deal for our shareholders. And so it was an easy and independent judgment. It's a great deal. Now, this conflicts with some reports following this interview from Bloomberg. Quote, a person familiar with the discussions who was not authorized to speak publicly said Microsoft looked at Activision's situation, given all the negative attention and pressure on Kodak, and wondered if the beleaguered CEO would be willing to do a deal. Kodak initially didn't want to sell, according to another person familiar with the talks, and also put word out to see if any other companies would outbid Microsoft. But at that point, Kodak had little leverage with the board amid ongoing public scrutiny at his company. So, to break that all down, basically, Kodak is trying to brush it off as if this was just a great deal and things ended up working out. But he did, in fact, shop this to other companies. What other companies would even have the, the means, the money, to be able to purchase this company, I think is an important point. Google, Apple, Facebook, Meta, whatever. Um, companies like that are the only companies who have the, the funds on hand to even be able to make a deal like this. It should also be noted, according to the Wall Street Journal, that Kodak also tried to purchase Kotaku and PC Gamer in order to sway public opinion in between this time. So from the point that they were embroiled in these scandals and Microsoft coming to them with a deal and the point that the deal actually ended up going through. Uh, Kodak tried to sway public opinion by purchasing different gaming publications, not unlike uh, Jeff Bezos and his purchase of the Washington Post, things of that nature. 
Um, this is a pretty common practice for a lot of uh, billionaire types. If you can buy the paper, you can kind of own uh, how people see you and your company. Obviously, these did not go through, and Kotaku and PC Gamer have not made comments on that since. Uh, let's continue with Microsoft's announcement. Quote, Around the world, there is no more exciting venue for fun and connection than video games. And there has never been a better time to play than right now. As we extend the joy and community of gaming to everyone, we look forward to welcoming all our friends at Activision Blizzard to Microsoft Gaming. So that's the end of the statement, but let's kind of break down some of what we got here. Okay, this is a big story. It's going to take a lot to digest. Gamers and journalists alike have asked since the announcement if this could trigger an anti-competition investigation in gaming, with many calling the acquisition a move toward a monopoly, which I don't entirely disagree with. Unfortunately, there is not a lot of faith in the government to prevent any anti-competitive practices in any industry. Though some members of Congress have already spoken on the deal, with the FTC saying it would be taking a stronger stance on antitrust regulation earlier the week prior. Microsoft has already had investigations, dating back decades, centered around monopolistic practices in the technology space, with little consequence. So uh, that kind of feeds into how little faith people have that this deal will be stopped by the FTC or the DOJ. Microsoft's gaming division specifically their gaming division, not Microsoft as a whole, is set to become the world's third largest gaming company in terms of sales revenue after the deal closes behind Tencent and Sony. This is according to The Verge. Now, what is my opinion on all this? <sighs> well, obviously, man, this deal has implications for our industry that we won't see for years and years and years. I prefer Microsoft to other companies that have the war chest to even be able to make an acquisition like this. Like I said, Google, Apple, Amazon, Meta, I don't want any of those companies owning Activision Blizzard. And from what we're hearing in the space, Activision Blizzard was a sinking ship under Bobby Kotick's uh, leadership and with all of these investigations happening at the same time. Because the DFEH was not the only one that they were under. They're also being sued by their own investors and a bunch of different other entities. So in the short term, you know, I think it, it could potentially be great for employees over Activision Blizzard. I think it would be awesome to have some studio autonomy over there. Uh, teams like Toys for Bob, who got roped into working only on Call of Duty instead of making games that they want to make. And I think it could be great for fans of neglected IP owned by Activision Blizzard. Activision Blizzard hasn't invested in many of the titles that people love because Call of Duty is their cash cow. So I think it could be good for the industry in the short term. In the long term, honestly, I think it's another step toward ubiquity and the watering down of innovation in gaming. When you have one person deciding what all of these companies are allowed to make, where the marketing dollars are going to go, it makes me nervous, not only on the monopoly front, but just in terms of what we are allowed to have. What is to say that Microsoft, as a business, won't end up 10 years from now in the exact same spot as Activision Blizzard, just in terms of neglecting IP 
neglecting different game franchises that we love. We will see. At the end of the day, I hope that Microsoft can allow for a diverse variety of games and development. I hope that internal teams will allow to be bold and creative in their game design. I hope Microsoft will put money into marketing smaller developer studios under their umbrella. I hope that our industry doesn't go the way of the radio, television, film, sports. I hope the industry can remain a respected art form and entertainment medium for many, many years in the future, but only time will tell. It's a complex discussion that we will be having for, I mean, many years to come. So it is okay not to know how to feel about it today. I'm not really sure how I feel about it today. I'm sure you're not 100% certain how you feel about it because there's a lot of moving pieces. This is bigger than the console wars. This is bigger than Microsoft versus Sony versus Nintendo. This is a peek into the future of our industry, both the good and the bad. With that, we're going to go ahead and jump into our first break, and then we're going to jump into a couple of smaller stories and our trigger warning topic of the week. Um, I had to get this story out of the way because it's the biggest news story that we're going to be talking about probably for the next two or three years at least, um, if all goes well. But with that, we're going to take our first break. My name is Wack Ops, and this is Hardcore Casual. What's going on, guys? Welcome back. Let's go ahead and jump into the rest of our headliners um, we had to talk about Microsoft, but we're, we're done with that for today. We'll probably be talking about it next episode and maybe the episode after that and many more to come. But until then, let's go ahead and jump into some other news stories that I've missed while I was away that have already happened in 2022. Now, first things up, E3. E3 apparently is going online for the third year in a row. This is according to GamesBeat. The ESA actually wrote a statement directly to GamesBeat, quote, due to the ongoing health risks surrounding COVID-19 and its potential impact on the safety of exhibitors and attendees, E3 will not be held in person in 2022, end quote. This has caused many in the space to call into question the necessity of E3 moving forward. With many companies holding their own online showcases throughout the summer, Many businesses and consumers alike wonder if the ESA and E3 bring enough value to even be able to survive. Uh, I mean, the last, last, I'll give them a pass on E3 2020 because uh, COVID came out in March and it takes months and months and months and months to plan at E3. So they were kind of on their heels on that one. But last year's E3 was a bit underwhelming. Um, I, if I remember correctly, it was... Game Pass and uh, not even Microsoft, but Game Pass specifically and Nintendo that ended up stealing the show. And they had their own summer showcases later on. Uh, It should be noted, though, that the value for smaller publishers and smaller development teams is still strong uh, in terms of exposure. As E3 draws enough attention for many indies, uh, it's a boon to their business. It definitely helps get more eyeballs on their projects, which I think is a good thing. I don't think E3 serves zero purpose. Um, I just think that the benefit it has for bigger development teams and bigger publishing uh, companies 
isn't there as much as being able to invest in their own controlled small online showcases. Now, Jeff Keighley's Summer Game Fest has been seen as a core competitor of E3, though his showcase has yet to break into the international gaming space with the same impact as E3 as of yet. Um, I think that's important because I live in the States and most of the people that I listen to um, for news and a lot of the publications that I read are based in the States. We have, unfortunately, a way of looking at everything through our own prism. But I think a lot of people in Australia and New Zealand and the UK and Germany and South America and all these other places where gaming is still very popular. Jeff Keighley does not have nearly the uh, name recognition and his Games Fest has yet to break through in those places with the same amount of impact. So, yes, I'm a little disappointed because I think anybody who is old enough to have grown up with E3 loves the nostalgia that it brings. And I think many people being in the same room together creates a, a, an environment that gives us better products and better games. But uh, you can't put people in danger because of this COVID thing. And so it puts us in a position where this is the third year in a row. How are they going to come back in year four of this pandemic? What if this pandemic, God forbid, I know nobody wants to hear it, but what if we're still in dealing with COVID for summer 2023 what are they going to do then how are they going to compete with everybody else is this is e3 going to end up being a double a and indie showcase by next year who knows who knows um it's definitely disheartening to hear but i think having archaic business forms retire definitely isn't a bad thing for us as the consumer and let's hope that all these independent showcases provide us better information about the upcoming games that people are promoting at these different companies. Let's go ahead and jump into our next story, and it is a bit of drama. I know I know how much y'all love the drama, so let's go ahead and talk about Pokimane and her uh, DMCA strike ban. Now, if you don't know who Pokimane is, she's a very, very popular Twitch streamer. She's in that top one percent or whatever in terms of um subscriber count and things like that and two weeks ago i want to say she received a 48 hour ban from the platform for streaming avatar the last airbender to nearly twenty-five thousand viewers causing a dmca strike to be placed on her channel why am i talking about this well because many smaller twitch streamers have called out pokimane and other large channels she's not the only one for breaking DMCA so blatantly, because this has the potential to bring about stricter DMCA restrictions to the platform as a whole, and obviously smaller creators aren't going to be able to survive more strict um, regulations as larger streamers would. Larger streamers would be less affected by these tighter restrictions. Um... And I don't like anything that makes it harder for up-and-coming streamers to grow on Twitch, or YouTube for that matter. If copyright holders decide to take more drastic action, that's the position that Twitch is going to find itself in. And uh, obviously, larger streamers have been seen to get special treatment. And it's a sticky situation, because DMCA law and free use and things like that aren't really... They're, they're not being applied 
equally. And on one hand, it is just arbitrary and completely random. And on the other hand, it is very, very strict for some smaller creators. Now, personally, I think this is stupid because copyright holders can actually benefit and do benefit from Twitch and YouTube creating promotions by watching this stuff. You know what I mean? I wouldn't be surprised if Nickelodeon and what Paramount saw a boost in views after Pokimane streamed it. So I would hope that maybe we can create, and this is, again, this is a pipe dream because I don't think that copyright holders would ever do this, but I think it would be a benefit to all parties involved, a DMCA-free holiday uh, surrounding their IP. Rather than have this whack-a-mole environment that provides little for creators to be able to share content with their viewers, uh, why not create a, a day or a week where any creator can stream any of your IP, put out a list, and allow viewers to go and find their favorite creators who are streaming something that they want to watch and watch alongside them? While I do think it's wrong for... Uh, you know, licensed works to be streamed without permission. Cause I, yeah, I do think that's wrong. I think that's, that's weak. Um, because at the end of the day, there is a creator out there somewhere who isn't getting paid for their work. Even if the bulk of that money is going to a copyright holder or a big conglomerate kind of corporation. Uh, I think that permission should be granted to some platforms by, you know, just even as a means to promote their IP. Uh, similar to video game streaming, it seems that copyright holders can benefit from their property being celebrated by streamers and staying relevant to people that use these platforms rather than honestly leaving it up to the consumer who not everybody has different subscription services. Not everybody has all the subscription services. And if you want to promote your subscription service, then it would be smart to, to meet the people where they are, which for a lot of young people, that is Twitch, that is YouTube. Um, I would love to see the copyright holders and these different platforms come to some kind of agreement where DMCA regulation could be restricted by time rather than leaving it up to the creators who are eventually just going to get in trouble and create a stricter environment moving forward. So, Less about Pokimane and more about the DMCA law, but I think for a lot of creators out there, they feel where I'm coming from and just want an opportunity to, yeah, grow, but also showcase the things that they know and love to the viewers that they relate to. I think that's a fantastic idea. Let's hope that one day we will get some kind of regulatory body to implement this or the copyright holders just chill out and find a way to get their content to us in a way that works for us. Meet us where we're at. That's all I want. Now, enough Twitch drama. I didn't get into all the back and forth because I'm not in Twitch drama, and I think it's nonsense a lot of the time, um, or YouTube drama for that matter. That's why you don't hear me talk about these folks too often, but I thought that it was an important point to bring up. Now, Let's go ahead and move into our next segment. That is the word on the street where we talk rumors, gossip, controversy, and delays. Man, we got some leaks and delays for you. Let's go ahead and start off this section with a couple of leaks because I want to make sure 
that you guys know what's out there on the internet and be vigilant, be mindful, you know, uh, block certain keywords on your social media platforms and things of that nature. First, Horizon Forbidden West. Yes, Horizon Forbidden West has been leaked online. Um, from what I understand, it's an early build, but it is everything but a couple of uh, visual assets. So basically the entire story is out online. 99% of what is out uh, in the game is out online. So definitely be careful if you're trying to avoid spoilers. I'm disappointed it leaked this early. Uh, I definitely wish it, if it were to leak, it leaked the week before and not a month before, which is definitely disheartening for many, many fans who, quite frankly, this was on my personal most anticipated list. And I'm sure for many uh, listeners and many fans of the franchise, this is their most anticipated game of 2022. Next, this one's a little less surprising and a little less impactful. Pokemon Legends Arceus has also leaked online. Uh, now, the Pokemon company is very litigious and very good about getting their uh, stuff off of these different platforms, um, but it's 100% out there. I've definitely seen some of it myself. The Pokédex has leaked, so those of you that want to explore the world and be surprised by the different forms that you're going to be able to find of different Pokemon, just be mindful. I don't think anybody's too concerned about story beats and things like that. One good thing that came out of this leak is that from what I understand, I, I've seen some of the Pokédex, but I have not seen screenshots of the environments. A lot of people were skeptical about the visuals of Pokémon Legends Arceus before it came out. A lot of the promotional videos did not do it any favors in terms of visuals, but according to these leaks, and some people have seen them, it looks much, much better than some of the ads that they've been putting out and some of the showcases that we've seen it in. So, good news for those that were looking to purchase this. I've already pre-ordered this. I don't pre-order very often, but this is the first Pokemon game in a very, very long time that I have any incentive to purchase and play on day one. Um, I can't wait for them to change the structure of the game and do something new for once. So, I'm excited for that. I hope you are too. Next, let's go ahead and talk about another delay, our first official big delay of 2022, and that is Stalker 2. Stalker 2 has been delayed all the way from April, I believe, 28th, all the way to December 8th of 2022. So this is going to be a holiday release. Uh, I am incredibly disappointed, quite frankly, because this was, in my opinion, the best-looking game that was showcased at E3 last year. Uh, it's using Unreal Engine 5, and, you know, this is the first shoot a drop, and with many more to come. I'm not going to be surprised if we get a ton more delays. The uh, Omnicron variant popping off definitely railroaded a lot of studios, and I'm sure we're going to be hearing about it more and more this year. Uh, let's hope that they are few and far between, but mm, we'll probably end up seeing by the time summer hits more of these announcements coming in in uh in droves honestly i i'm i'm not expecting this to be the only delay of the year by a long shot lastly on our word of the street segment i wanted to talk about something that happened uh that kicked up you know the twitterverse about 2 weeks ago and that's dying lights 500 hours uh tweet now if you're unfamiliar uh dying light 2 supposedly 
will take 500 hours to complete the game. And by complete the game, they mean do everything. That was not made clear in their initial tweet. So <laughs> let's go through the timeline a bit because I think this was just a hilarious uh, situation that actually led into a, a good conversation for all of us to have in terms of telling companies what we want from our games. And there's we're not a monolith. Gamers are not a monolith. So Let's just get through the timeline and we'll get to the discussion in a bit. So on Dece or, excuse me, December, on January 8th, Techland announced that Dying Light 2 would take 500 hours to, quote, complete the game. 48 hours later, on January 10th, Techland followed up with some clarification. It would take 20 hours to complete the main story. Roughly 80 hours to complete the main story and all the side missions, which for open world, you know, RPG-like games this is pretty standard uh even if that is fairly long now 500 hours to quote max out the game that includes all main and side quests all choices and endings clearing the entire map every dialogue option and every collectible so that is what they were referring to with the 500 hours this was not <laughs> a good marketing ploy to just be like oh it'll take 500 hours because i think many people who play a lot of games rolled their eyes and were like well i guess i'm not playing dying light 2 <laughs> straight up they were just like i don't have 500 hours to complete this game uh it caused an uproar within the community as many gamers just feel like 500 hours is too much or at least like I said, it's just not great marketing to sell Dying Light 2. If you are a fan of Dying Light 2 and you want to see it be successful, um, that is horrible marketing. A lot of people aren't going to purchase that. That is a barrier to entry for a lot of people, myself included. If you told me I have to play a game for 500 hours in order to beat it, which isn't true. It's only going to take 20 hours to complete the main story. But if you told me that, I, it's the only game I'm playing this year. Not the only one, but like two. You know what I mean? It's it's very, very unfeel. I think 500 hours ends up being, what, 16 days? 20 days total? That's crazy. That's crazy. So, um, but, you know, it should be noted that gamers, as we're not a monolith, look for different time requirements from the games that they purchase. For some, a short game, 10, 20 hours, 25 hours, something like that, is not worth... 60 or 70 bucks as it will only you know as they only commit to a few titles per year if you're only playing two or three games a year 10 to 20 hours is, is a letdown you know think about kids who only can you know they don't that don't have jobs that are asking their parents to buy games some parents can't afford more than two or three games a year so this would be great 500 hours sounds like a great investment for 60 or 70 dollars others like many reviewers or people like me who play dozens of games a year, feel like that many games that are like 30 or more hours are too long and quite frankly are often padded out with repetitive content. Looking at you, Ubisoft. <laughs> uh, and, you know, me personally, I want a tighter, more streamlined experience. You know what I mean? I look at a lot of games where if it is story-driven... If that's my incentive for getting through the game, obviously the gameplay, but if even if the gameplay is really good, there are a few games that I want to spend 500 hours in or 100 hours in or whatever without tackling those story beats. 
Um, I think a good example of this would be like Guardians of the Galaxy. I think Guardians of the Galaxy was roughly like 20 to 30 hours, somewhere in there, 25 to 30 hours to beat. And it was full of story. It was, you know, the gameplay wasn't the best, but I walked away with, I walked away from it satisfied. I was happy when it ended. I was happy with how it concluded. I was excited about what the future might hold for a, a sequel to this game. That's kind of how you want to leave your customer wanting more, but not like not just relieved that it's over, you know? And I think there are a lot of games nowadays, especially in the open world space, where gamers are just so done with the game by the time they finish it that they're just like, I never want to look at this again. Uh, Far Cry, the Far Cry series is a perfect example of this. If you go back and listen to any of our episodes on the Far Cry 6 release back in, what, October of last year, that's how many, many people felt like it. It was a slog. It was a slog. So um, definitely something to think about for those of you who are making purchases this February, as uh, most of us are. Um, This game is going to make the most of the money you spend on it. But if you don't have 80 hours to commit to it, there may be other games that you want to look at in the February release window that might be a better use of your time. But with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into our second break this week. And when we come back, we're going to go ahead and jump into the trigger warning topic of the week. And I have to address it one more time, y'all, because I left you with it last time. We're going to do another discussion on NFTs in gaming. Thank you very much for being here. Come on back. My name is Wack Ops, and this is Hardcore Casual. Welcome back to Hardcore Casual. My name is Wack Ops. Thank you for being here. Let's go ahead and jump into our trigger warning topic of the week. Trigger warning segment is where we dissect, deep dive, and discuss one story that deserves more attention. It deserves more attention is a little touchy because what triggered this topic, and the topic of course this week is NFTs in gaming, is the uh, recent Troy Baker voice NFT tweet. Now, I'm not going to be speaking directly to that as I think it has been beaten to death by many who are more affected, quite frankly, uh, by it. People who are in the uh, voiceover section of the gaming industry, I think, have a lot more gripes with uh, his tweet and things like that. The uh, you can hate or you can create for those of you that are on Twitter, I'm sure heard of it. He was trending uh not only in the united states but across the world for his tweet which i found hilarious but if you want some more information on that specifically i do suggest you go see yong yeah on youtube he did a great breakdown of what exactly is wrong with this specific nft um not only is the company that troy baker troy baker being a very prominent voice actor in video games um played joel from uh the last of us for those that are familiar, and many, many other popular characters in gaming. The company that he's working with was stealing from smaller creators, uh, and the technology that they're using is going to end up stifling up-and-coming voice actors, and bad actors can use this AI to make people say things that they didn't. So there's there's a couple of things wrong with that, but I'm not going to be speaking specifically to that 
technology, I'm actually going to be speaking more to the implementation of blockchain uh, technology and NFTs in gaming as an industry. So let's begin. Many crypto enthusiasts and blockchain advocates are continuing their campaign to expand the technology's influence and impact into the gaming industry. Several companies have adopted these ideas and began working to incorporate blockchain technology in their business models, though some, some admittedly have taken a stance against it. The central argument for supporters of blockchain gaming is that gamers will be able to own the content, DLC, customizations, things like that, and in turn be able to transfer these in-game items to other games or metaverse-like environments. Also, in being able to own these items, gamers will in theory be able to trade or sell them for real money. This concept has recently been dubbed Play to Earn. I want to pull apart why the majority of the video game consumer base, gamers, uh, journalists, developers, have been especially adverse to the potential implementation of this technology. You know, like, what exactly is so bad about NFTs and blockchain technology and gaming? Let's break it down, because I think a lot of folks um, are very much into, like, you know, NFTs, no fucking thanks, things like that. I dig it. But let's actually come up with some cohesive, tangible arguments as to why this is problematic. So, first, ownership. Let's make something very clear. There's no such thing as digital ownership. If a company decides to shut down servers to a game that I'm invested in, what protects my investment? What intrinsic value is retained if the items that I paid for, I no longer have access to? Nothing. There's no regulatory body protecting my investment from such things. And even if I were to retain some use for my in-game items, companies like EA, Ubisoft, Activision, they have no financial incentive to allow me to roll over these items into other games. They want me to purchase more, not less. That's why I can't keep a skin from Modern Warfare 2019 and bring it into Call of Duty Vanguard. It just doesn't work because they want me to spend more money not less. Whatever I earned in another title stays with that title. So let's talk about artificial scarcity because this is a big one. Let's create an example. We'll continue with Call of Duty because that's what I play and I think a lot of people, that's what, what people are talking about now anyway. So let's say I purchase a skin for my gun in Call of Duty as an NFT. Activision says, oh, it's unique, it's one-of-a-kind. Following my purchase, I wish to sell this unique one-of-a-kind skin on a marketplace or auction house for actual money or Ethereum or whatever, right? When going to sell, I see that this skin has near-exact copies on the marketplace other than a little, you know, uh, QR code or, or number. Uh, that designates it as mine. And this would obviously tank the value of this supposedly unique skin. Any company can make any digital asset as scarce or plentiful as they want at any time. That is the big problem with this. They can say, oh, this is one of a kind, 
but for how long? What guarantee that I have do I have that you won't just saturate the market with the exact same item or skin once you have my money? None. How does an item hold its value if there are infinite copies of it? It doesn't. What guarantees that a company will dedicate resources to create thousands or millions of unique in-game items to ensure that mine holds value? Nothing. There is no guarantee that companies will not tank the value of what you have once they have your money. If I pay $50 for this skin in hopes that it will jump up to a thousand bucks, the the company doesn't necessarily want that, even if they do get a piece of the sale, because it takes dedicated resources to create that item. Not only in terms of energy, which we'll get into in terms of the environmental impact, but also a developer has to create that. They actually have to create that item. They're not going to pay a developer to just make a, a thousand unique pieces of whatever, of skins or customizations, and that just be a one-time sale. It doesn't work that way. Now, let's talk about the environmental impact, because I think this one is is probably the most important to me, um, just because it hasn't been solved yet. The environmental impact of blockchain technology as a whole, even outside of gaming, cannot be understated. To create a single NFT, it takes roughly the same amount of energy as a family household, four-person family household uses in their home in a day and a half. And there are so many NFTs to create, sell, hold, resell. It simply is just not a sustainable product, period. And until blockchain technology finds a way to be more efficient, it is only adding to the already problematic energy consumption challenges we face worldwide. Um, And that's not even talking about the graphic card waste. They're burning through graphic cards that we could be using as consumers, but that's a whole separate issue. The reason you can't find a graphic card right now is because of crypto enthusiasts and because of blockchain technology. That is a huge, huge portion of it. Lastly, and this is the one that kind of hits closest to home for gamers and in terms of just how it's going to affect our daily gaming lives, exploitation. Now, play to earn, quote unquote, sounds harmless enough, right? We as gamers used to play games to unlock items without the need for microtransactions. I remember. But as more and more live service games become tools for creation, many companies want to incentivize gamers to create in-game content rather than pay a developer to do so. Herein lies why play to earn is problematic. Gamers are now being, quote-unquote, paid with in-game items and currency for doing the job of a developer instead of real-world money, instead of creating a job for a developer. This circumvents the idea of paying creators for their efforts, basically asking your customer to become your employee for the price of a skin, the price of V-Bucks. My concern is not necessarily for the adults who grind out these games or modders who create this content for these companies because they've been doing that for free for years, but rather like kids who are being given a system 
that allows them to work basically for free. Specifically, I'm talking about companies like Roblox that find ways of monetizing user-generated content without fair compensation. But instead, they're going to present to you an in-game coin or, in the future, an NFT. Essentially creating jobs that only pay in currency that is non-transferable, has zero value outside of that ecosystem. At least with like a dollar, I can take that almost anywhere in the world and someone will be able to trade it for something. But if I have a bunch of V-Bucks in my crypto wallet, that doesn't get me food anywhere. I can't buy food at the supermarket with that. You feel me? So lastly, I want to talk about use case because I think this is a big problem that a lot of people in the crypto space don't understand is that without a use case, I have zero interest in crypto, blockchain, NFT. If you're not doing something, if it doesn't provide value, then what's the point? What problem is it solving? What value does it bring to the consumer? What are you giving us as consumers for our time and money? A JPEG, some funny money that stops working once the servers get shut down. There's nothing that NFTs and blockchain technology offers this industry that it is not already created. We already have Second Life. We already have The Sims. We already have these metaverse concepts that they're always pushing and why NFTs are going to be important. NFTs just don't create new ways of play or engagement. And more than that, it flies in the face of the central motivation behind the gaming medium and most entertainment mediums, escapism. We don't like to talk about it too much, but that's what it is. By making gaming an investment opportunity, it steals away my ability to play these games without risk or potential for harm. Financial harm, but harm nonetheless. Even if all these lofty promises become a reality, I would like probably stop gaming if it meant the potential for losing my real-world money investment in the process. For consumers, video games should be entertainment and not a means to create wealth. But that's just my opinion. You've heard what I think. I want to hear what you guys think. Holler at me. Come and join us and be a part of a growing community. Don't forget to support the show. Please reach out to me on Twitter or on our email and tell me what you think about this. I really want to know what how you guys are feeling about the future of NFTs and blockchain technology in gaming. Let's assume it is an inevitability. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to stop gaming? Are you going to participate in these investments? Uh, how are you going to let companies know that you're not down with this moving forward? And if your favorite game gets involved in NFTs, will you stop playing? Please reach out to us uh, at our email, whackops at gmail.com, W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z at gmail. Or you can hit us on Instagram or on Twitter. Again, at whackops, W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z. If you're showing love, I need the sub. If you're trying to holla, I need the follow. If you enjoy the content, don't forget to comment. And if you're liking what we do, please download, share, and review. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you enjoy podcasts. Now, please visit our Twitter and participate in our weekly Twitter poll. This week's Twitter question, 
are you picking up Pokemon Arceus this week? I want to know because for a lot of Pokemon fans, I think we're very excited, but everybody outside of the Pokemon fandom or the current Pokemon fandom, those of us who have played Pokemon in our use and grew up with it but fell out of it, are is this enough for you to come back and give it a try? Are you waiting on reviews to come in? I want to know. Please, please come and find our Twitter poll and participate. Comment uh, down below. But with that, that is about the end of our show. But I will leave you, as I always do, with the shout out of the week where we give people their flowers and hold them up high. We have two shout outs of the week this week. The first comes to us from Vice News. This is an open source Afro hair library that is being created by an Oakland-based artist and UC Santa Cruz assistant professor A.M. Dark. I'm going to read you a quote from Vice News. Quote, the open source Afro hair library slated to launch on Juneteenth, 2023, will be the gaming world's first free database for 3D modeled black hairstyles. By creating all black artists and making the database free, Dark plans to create an anti-racist, anti-capitalist, and feminist approach to the portrayal of black hair, as well as a sense of unified ownership and investment on how the hairstyles are used. I think this is a fantastic, fantastic idea. I'm so happy that this is being developed. Shout out to AM Dark. Shout out to the team that is working on this because as a person of color, as just as a mixed kid, man, I can never find my hair in a video game. And I'm, I'm sure it is much, much harder for black women who do creative things with their hair or whatever the case may be. I wish that developers cared enough to do some research rather than just giving us dreads, corn rolls, or an afro. I'm excited. I am beyond excited for this to launch. And I really implore anybody who's listening to this who is on any kind of development team, please keep an eye out for this. Again, Juneteenth, I believe that's June 19th. 2023 please keep an eye out for this because this is an incredibly important project and it's free there's no investment necessary none of these companies have to put in any money in order to fund this project there's no reason post june 2023 or i'll give them six months 2024 and beyond that black hair should have to live in this sad state that it's been in most of my gaming life. So very excited. Shout out to AM Dark. Please go support the open source Afro hair library. And lastly, our second shout out this week. Let's give a shout out to the 34 Raven software QA testers that decided just last week to form a union calling themselves the Game Workers Alliance. After weeks of striking and no response from Activision Blizzard, the parent company that owns uh, Raven Software, these 34 QA testers decided to form the GWA with help from a better ABK and the Communication Workers of America. So shout out to all three of those organizations and specifically those brave 34 Raven Software QA testers Thank you for taking the first steps in what I hope is a long journey toward unionization amongst all major game publishers and development platforms. I'm very, very excited for that team and what the future holds for our industry. A lot of big news this week, a lot going on. Please reach out to me with your 
feelings and and your thoughts on all of this big news uh the future definitely looks bright in some ways and it's very scary in others and I, i'm i'm excited to be back talking about it so without further ado i am whack ops this is hardcore casual have fun be cool and stay dangerous Thank you for joining us on this episode of Hardcore Casual. Join us next Friday with your friendly neighborhood news aggregator, Whack Ops. You can also follow us on social media at Whack Ops, on Instagram and Twitter. Support the show by downloading, sharing, and reviewing. Available on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, and Stitcher. See you next week.